as I was um, preparing for this morning, I was drawn back to a message that I prepared a long time ago when we went through a series um, when we looked at the words of the seven churches in Revelation, okay? And uh, I think that this is kind of a key message as we lead into the week before Upfest. So I really want us to think about this this morning. I want us to look again at the words to a church that was effectively dead, okay? Known as the church at Sardis, okay? And I believe that God this morning wants to remind us why this church is sick and why this church is dying And to understand again, as we know, the church isn't the building, it's us, okay? We are the people, we are the church. And what God wants to say to us individually in this as the church, and also what he wants to say to us as a united church here. And the question I want to ask today is, am I alive for Jesus, or are there areas in my life that need a renewal, that need a refreshing? Am I alive for Jesus? Is Jesus my number one passion, honestly, when I sit here this morning? Or do I need a renewal and a a refreshing? So I guess the first question might be, how did this church die? How did this church die? Well, basically, all things tend to die in the same way, okay? So um, I am terrible at looking after houseplants, okay? I know some people are really good at looking after houseplants and they love doing it, but I'm terrible at it. And I'll let you into a guilty secret. When I was younger, I got asked to house sit for a family to look after their houseplants, okay? And when they returned home, they just had lots of little brown stumps. And I was like, oh, I did water them. Honestly, it must be some strange disease that hits the house um, and killed all these plants. But I'm terrible. It just, I'm just not, I just don't have time to look after pot plants. Okay, it's not my thing. Um, But we know that pot plants will die up, dry up, they'll wither without feeding, and they will die. That's what will happen if we don't feed our plants. And our spiritual lives are actually very similar. They're almost the same. It's the same process. Gradually, we get sicker and sicker and weaker and weaker until eventually we dry up. And before we know it, our spiritual life has died, maybe before we've even had a chance to notice because it's just been such a long process. Our spiritual life has completely disappeared. So I want to read this morning from Revelation chapter 3. And and so I'll just start reading from verse 1. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. So here we read of this nearly dead, dying church of Sardis. And how can you tell if a church is dying? And I make no apology this morning. I've taken this from a brilliant writer on Revelation, a commentary on Revelation. So there's five points that are marks, I think, of a dying or a dead church, okay? And I want to think about those this morning. Now, I have to say that we are a very live church, and I love the fact that we have life and vibrancy. But I want us to be aware of the signs so in our own lives individually as well, we can see, actually, are there things that 
my Christian walk, my faith in Jesus needs to just be revived again. Number one, a dead church worships the past, okay? Looks at the past rather than the future. You know, you'll have heard it yourself. You'll say, remember a time when we did this, okay? I have it every Christmas. Remember the time when we did Road to Bethlehem, you know? We have that as a church. Road to Bethlehem was a great thing. Don't get me wrong. It was great. It was fantastic. There are amazing stories, you know? And we might have had balconies full of people and lots of people around. Um, and it was great. And we celebrate what God did 20, 30 years ago. But what about now? I think we had a very compliant bunch of youth who were willing to go around putting tea towels on their heads and wear dressing gowns, okay? I'm sure if I said that to you today, this Christmas, all your mates are going to come and you're going to wear a tea towel on your head and wear They'd be like, no way, no way, okay? It's a different time. It's a different time. And I don't want us to live in the past. A church that is alive is always living in the present and looking to what God's doing in the future. What is happening now in our present time? What's happening among our young people now in this time? And what are we going to do in the future? We should be looking at the present and planning for the future. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to chat about it in your little, little groups. Okay, how well do you cope with change? Okay, talk to the people next to you. Are you good at change? Do you excite you or is it difficult? Okay, fantastic. There you go. All right, let's just bring our conversations to a close for a moment. Brilliant. Okay, it's interesting how we cope with change, isn't it? Some of us love change and some of us just go, oh, I don't want to change. Okay, I'm a person who loves change, okay? In fact, Freya said to me the other day, Mum, we've moved house every two years since I've been alive. Bless her. I love change. I love clearing out. I love having a new start, a fresh start, a change and something different. It's always exciting um, and uh, I love change. Other, others find change difficult. It's hard to change. It's hard to, to um, move out of a comfort zone, a place where you've been for a long time. My second point is, is that a dead church or a church that's dying is inflexible and resistant to change. Okay, we have to be a place where we change. Sometimes in the church, we're flexible where we should be inflexible and inflexible where we should be flexible. Okay, here's where we should be inflexible. Here's where we should stand our ground in the essentials. Okay, we come together to pray, to worship God and to study God's word. We are inflexible about those things. Those are the foundations of why we come together. And if we come together for any other reason, really, that's why we're here. We make no apology that we will worship, that we will pray and we will learn from God's word. That's really important. Now, that doesn't have to look like a three-point sermon, five songs at the beginning and two songs at the end every week, okay? Those things can change, okay? Those things don't really matter how we do them. Those things that we can be flexible on, what do I mean by that? We can sit in Costa coffee chairs rather than sitting in rows, okay? Ooh, Okay, we can do that. We can meet in a field and worship God rather than meeting in the church building. Okay, it doesn't matter if the walls are magnolia orange or fluorescent pink. 
okay? It doesn't matter. We can do it. We can go for it, okay? Those things we can be flexible on. How about the biggie, the big one, the big elephant in the room that you're thinking, I know what you're going to say. What am I going to say? Sunday roast. That's, that's, that's something that's inflexible. We have to have Sunday roast, and that's a thing we have to have. Um, no, our musical style, worship. Okay, our worship, it's always the biggest divider. Why is it the biggest divider? Because around your table and around your chairs, there will be everything from people who listen to Radio 1 to Radio Guernsey and everything in between, okay? Because you all have different styles, you know? I love a bit of Dolly Parton working nine till five. And I, yeah, <laughs> and I love a bit of um, Peggy Sue, Buddy Holly. Um, but my kids kind of come in and go, Mum? Really? Okay. Um, I love Nathan and Kim were telling me that they've got they've developed this thing when they go on holiday of a playlist that they all put songs on and they're not allowed to skip one, which is a brilliant thing to do um, because I only ever listen to my children's music when we're on holiday. Okay, but they just come in and laugh at me. And there's a danger in this that I begin to feel like my style is not only better but it's right. Okay, that I believe that my style is actually right and we become inflexible and we become rigid in what we believe is right and better. And I'll look a bit more about that in a moment. Number three, a a dying church, a dead church becomes complacent. We become complacent. Complacency and apathy sets in. Okay, we become comfortable. The church has been put in like a spiritual cruise control. You know that lovely button on your car that you can just cruise down, don't even have to do anything? It just goes along and it's all very easy. Okay, we don't want to and we're not willing really to rethink the way that we do things. We become complacent. And I think it's really important to be constantly evaluating, looking at what we're doing, reshaping what we're doing. What's the big mission? What are we called to? Is what, we, is what we're doing here fitting in with the mission that we're called to? Is it as, a, as effective as it can be or does it need to be changed? You know, I'm really grateful for our cafe team, really proud of our team who run the Wednesday Cafe, because they've been thinking over the last few weeks, you know what, I think it's time to shake this up a bit and have a change. We've been doing it for five years. Is there ways in which we can do this better? So we're having a break over the summer, and we're just going to meet and think about different ways in which we can do things. How can we change things? What else could we be doing? That's a really positive way to approach church, to be thinking about not just because we've always done it, but actually, how can we do it better? How can we be more effective? How can we reach the community more? Number four, a dying church neglects, it, neglects its young people. You know, maybe we've spent a very long time looking at, and I put myself in this category, and you'll go, oh, no, 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 no. But an aging population rather than our young people. Okay, we need to be investing heavily in our youth. And this takes me back to worship. You know, it may surprise you, but I love to sing many of our old choruses. Okay, now, where on earth does the word chorus even come from? I was thinking, where else would you ever say I listen to a chorus on the radio? Where does it come from? Okay, I was thinking, I love to sing them. And it stirs something within me. And there's lots of songs that we used to sing that I can remember when I was a teenager that really connected with me. And even now, when I sing them, it really, really connects with me. 
and, uh, and I love them. However, I know that in order for our young people to move on, I have to make space for them. I have to think, actually, style-wise, I have to step aside and let them have their heyday. Let them have their moment, you know? And as I grow older, I realize more and more that I've not had my day because, you know, God uses us all and God has things for us all, but I've had my heyday maybe. I've had my moments. I was so grateful and so blessed as a young person to have opportunities to dance, to make mistakes, to, to lead things. I often speak with Colin and we say at the age of 17, we were running a youth club that was just chaos filled with young people here. And we didn't know what was going to happen each week. You know, the other day we had someone turn up who works for the Roads Traffic Committee now, yeah, and he's 40. And he said to me, do Phil and Rachel still go to your church? Because they ran our youth club. And I ran across the roof when I was part of their youth club. And I was laughing, thinking, yeah, you know, but he really remembered that moment, okay? They must have been, I don't know what you were. What, how old were you then running that youth club? No, he's 40. So what, 20? Were you 20? 1920. And he must have been... I don't know, 15, 14, 15. And they were released and running it, running it. And we made our mistakes, okay? But it's time to step aside and to allow our young people to release their creativity, their giftings, all of their callings that they have, these amazing giftings that they have. And we need to support them, pray for them, help them, encourage them, bless them, when they say, can you help me with this? Yes, I can. What do you need me to do for you here? We need to allow for the church to survive the chaos and the adventure that young people bring to push us and drive us forward. That's what we need. We need to see our young people really released. We have that foundation. We're now in that mature stage, hopefully, where we can bring that and they can just go for it. And we, they bring us life. And we need to really see them released into that. And yes, they will make mistakes. Yes, there will be chaos, but that's fine. That's absolutely fine when they're on this adventure we, and you know, like we can support them in that. Um, you know, we might introduce some music and we might get the voices, oh, well, you know, the older people won't like that song. You know, Joe keeps listening to God's great dance floor and dancing all over the place. And, and the older people might like that song. Well, it's right. We might not like it. I might not like it. I might think, oh, no, I can't sing to that. But you know what? I have to recognize it's not about me. It's not about me. I hit my mid-40s in a couple of weeks, okay? And uh, when I was thinking the other day, I was thinking the people who I saw as really old, okay, when I was young were in their 40s. Okay, that's what I've come to realize. I've come to realize that actually so quickly we lose touch really with what's going on. I can't really understand their world at the moment. The world that is so tough for our young people to live in. So tough. It's so different to when we grew up. So different. And so we need them. We need to release them. I love it when I sit next to a young person in church and they're quite happy to sit next to me. And I like it. They're not embarrassed thinking, oh, this old woman sat next to them. I love it when they sit next to me. I love their energy. I love their fun. I love the little comments, the cheeky ones, the rude ones that they make in worship next in my ear. I love it. 
I thrive off it. I love it. And actually, as an older person, I can pray for them. I can support them. I can help them with that foundation of faith. And as a younger person, they can help me to stay alive. And I mean that literally. They can help me to stay alive in my faith as they encourage us on. Fifth thing is, finally, and then we'll go on to something else. The sign of a dying church is that it lacks passion for evangelism, lacks passion for the people outside of the church. If new people aren't coming to faith and regularly joining our church, then it's only a matter of time that we will stagnate and we will die. And that is why I'm so keen to see our youth work grow, to explode, to see new young people pouring in because they are the lifeblood of this church. So often we say, you know, young people aren't the future, the children aren't the future of the church, they're the church of today. And while that is true, they're also the future. So if we don't have them in today, we won't have a future. And it worries me. It worries me like mad that we won't have a future unless we're reaching our young people, the lifeblood of our church. New believers, you know, we need to pray for them, encourage them, embrace them, welcome them into our home when they're here. You know, let's be a place of hospitality, welcoming, opening up our homes to people. Because I can tell you if we do, we are more encouraged by them than they are by us. I love to sit with someone who's the light's gone on about Jesus. And I'm just like, this is amazing. This is absolutely reviving my faith again. They renew our passion. So this was what was happening to the church at Sardis. Okay, they were dying. They were dying. So what should a church do that is dying? What should a dead church do? Or what should we as individuals, if we're sitting here thinking, actually, I'm identifying with some of this, I'm struggling to let go. I'm struggling to release. If we're thinking, actually, some of these things are really resonating with us and we recognize that we are beginning to stagnate and we're beginning to die spiritually, then we need to go back to Jesus because he's got all the answers, all the advice that we could ever need for a complete recovery. You know, it doesn't do us any good if we go to the doctor and the doctor tells us, yes, this is what's wrong with you. This is totally the thing that's wrong and it gives you all the medication and we don't do what he says. I heard about a patient who went to a doctor and, and said, doctor, it's been one month since my last visit and I still feel miserable. The doctor asked, well, did you follow the instructions on the medicine I gave you? And the patient said, yes, of course I did. The bottle said, keep tightly closed. Okay, that's not going to work. We have to take it. Okay, and in the same way with Jesus, we can read all the words, we can be challenged, but unless we do something about it, things aren't going to change. We need to listen. We need to open up God's word, not not keep it tightly closed. We need to read what it says, and we need to do what Jesus is asking us to do. Jesus gives us his prescription for us to be renewed spiritually. Three things. Number one, wake up. Okay, the front row said to me, oh, Jordan's awake, or oh, you sleepwalking. And the front row said to me, tell me if I'm asleep. So I said, I will. I will say, wake up, wake up. Verse two tells us to wake up, literally. You know, we need to wake up. When I go to France or I go on the boat anywhere, I'm terrible. I get so seasick, okay? I'm just so seasick. It's awful. I even just driving down into the car 
bit, I can just smell that smell and I'm just overwhelmed already. And then I discovered seasickness tablets and they've been amazing, okay? They are fantastic, but the problem is, is that they knock you out. So I'm on the boat and I'm like literally fine, but I'm asleep. And then I get off and for the first hour of our journey, there's no point me following Satnav because I am like just gone completely. And it's been said that tiredness reduces our ability to function so much so that people who are sleep deprived are just as dangerous as drunk drivers. And that's so true, isn't it? When you've seen, you've probably seen on the motorway, people who've fallen asleep and drifted, you know, drifted across the motorway, falling asleep. Jesus says, wake up, wake up. He says to those who are completely lethargic, a person who's out of touch. He's effectively sleepwalking through their faith. Jesus says, wake up. Your life depends on it. Snap out of it. Number two, Jesus says, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. Verse two, the word strengthen means stabilize that which is frail. Stabilize it. Is there something good going on in your life or in the life of the church that we need to pour all the resources into? Because actually, this is seeing life and it's seeing fruit and it's great. And we want to really strengthen this part of the church. Even if it's a tiny glimmer of life that's happening, strengthen it. I'm sure many of you have seen this clip. I want to just play a clip from the Brownlee brothers at the Olympics. Just watch this for a moment. I'm sure you, many of you have seen it. Okay, thank you. Brilliant. There you go. I'm sure many of you have seen that before about the Brownlee brothers and uh, just the amazing story it was. Um, But, you know, this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for each one of us individually and as a church. He says, you know, maybe you're saying... I'm, I'm really struggling here. I can't, I'm feeling dry. I'm feeling, nothing's happening. And Jesus just comes alongside us and he's saying over our lives, don't give up. I'm here with you. I'm supporting you. I'm going to get you to that finish line. I'm going to carry you to the end. You're not finished yet. I'm going to carry you over until you reach that finish line. We need to strengthen that which is frail. The third thing is we need to be ready for Jesus' return. Now, we used to get lots of teaching years ago about Jesus coming again. And, uh, and that's an exciting thought for each one of us. You know, we need to be ready for Jesus' return. Verse 3, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. You know, a thief doesn't announce when he's coming, otherwise he's not a very good thief, okay? It would be a bit like home alone if a thief said, you know, I'm coming tonight. We'd set up loads of traps and things around our house ready to catch that thief. When we were in France um, last time, we, it was our first night there. And uh, as our salmons do, we sleep in the lounge on a pull-up bed and we have no curtains, okay? So just warning, if ever you're passing the house, um, we have no curtains. I don't know why, but we don't. Um, so we just sleep on this pull-up bed. And uh, it was like two in the morning. I said, Martin, Martin, someone's shining a torch around the house. And he's like, no, no. And then he wakes up literally with a light in his face, like, oh my goodness. And he's like, yeah, you're right, there is. So he jumps out of bed, you know, in his boxes. He's outside and these guys drive off. 
Okay, they just they've just gone, and he's like, I don't know, maybe they the big van and they'd slid the door open. Maybe they were like coming just because we're not normally there to take everything out. I don't know, not much to take, but um, they were looking in. Anyway, eventually they came back down, and uh, it was fine. They thought it was their accommodation for the night, and they were like like looking for another house in the area. But that's what Jesus says. He's going to come unexpectedly. You know, it gave us the shock of our lives, okay? And that's what Jesus says. When he returns, he will come unexpectedly. And see, when we think of Jesus returning at any moment, if we know Jesus, if we have that relationship with Jesus, if we're a follower of Jesus, then that should be exciting. We should be looking forward to that day when Jesus returns. But for others of us, you know, if we don't have that relationship with Jesus, it may be something that we worry about. And it kind of does, um, it's quite telling of our spiritual journey, what our attitude is towards the thought of Jesus' return. If you knew Jesus was returning today, how would we, you know, put our spiritual lives right? What would there be things that we needed to change? What would we want to do to be ready? We need to wake up, we need to strengthen, and we need to be ready for Jesus' return. But finally, and most importantly, to be living the Christian life that is alive and full of passion and to be a church that's making a difference, to be a place where people long to belong. We read in verse one that Jesus is the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And the seven spirits of God are a symbol of the Holy Spirit in all of his fullness, all of his fullness for each one of us. So Jesus is saying it here he's saying what you need is the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life think about your mobile phone it's a fantastic device that we use daily but it's so frustrating when it runs out of power I am literally turned into an Olympic sprint athlete when my phone says one okay one bar one percent on the battery and I run across the lounge and plug it into the charger because I'm too impatient to wait for it to reboot again so I dash across we need to keep charging our phones every day so they don't die most of us I expect do that daily if not a couple of times a day so in the same way in this when we start our Christian life it's like we're full of power we're full of charge but we need to keep charging our spiritual lives. And if we're feeling like the bars are going down and our energy's getting less and we feel like we're heading for a complete standstill, then I want to ask the question, have you recharged lately? Have you had that time to recharge lately? You need to be filled with the Spirit. It's not just a one-time event. Ephesians 5 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember that song we used to sing? I bet you don't. I bet I'm going to have to sing it on my own. Um, about being filled with the Spirit. It's not beer, it's not wine. Do you remember that one? It's not beer, it's not wine, it's not lager and lime. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> if you turn on the tap, you can talk in tongues and praise the Lord at the top of your lungs. Do you remember that one? No? Okay, that's just me. Okay, that's my teenage years, you see? I remember it. I remember it coming back. Maybe we need to wrap that soon. Okay. And in the Greek... <laughs> 
<laughs> in the Greek, we know it means that we need to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over again, being filled with the Holy Spirit. God, we get refills with from God, you know. And what I find really interesting is after God says, after we read in Ephesians that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit constantly, the next bit straight after talks about men and women, husbands and wives, fathers, mothers, parents. Effectively, God is saying, if you want to be a good mum, if you want to be a good dad, if you want to be a good husband, good wife, good friend to others, to those around you, then be filled with the Spirit. It's for practical, it's very practical reasons to bring out the best in us to bring out the best in our relationships with others. We need God's help to do everything that he has called us to do, not just in family relationships, but the whole of our lives. Whatever it is God's asking us to do, we need that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. So my question this morning is, how is your spiritual life? How is your spiritual life? Do we need a wake up? Do we need to strengthen that which is frail? Do we need to be brought back to life? Who doesn't want to be a better friend, better husband, better wife, better parent? And I just feel that before Upfest next week, it's an excellent opportunity for us to be filled again, refreshed again by the Holy Spirit, to spend time with one another, to spend time with God, in teaching in God's word, in worship, in prayer, building one another up, releasing our younger generation into all the creativity and all the things that they have to encourage us and we can encourage them. And so I want to encourage you to come next weekend, to be expectant, come expectant that God's going to move, not just come thinking, oh, it's something the church is putting on. Come expectant. Me, personally, I'm going to come because I want to meet with God this weekend. Or come saying, I'm going to stand at the back of the marquee and I'm just going to pray for our younger generation, that they really get a sense of who God is and the Spirit, His Spirit at work. Let's pray. Let's pray that we meet the Holy Spirit in a new way, that we are revived, that we're refreshed, that we're ready to be sent out, that we're inspired, that we're given new vision, new passion as we head into September, a new longing to see God move in our islands.